Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Jesus, you are worthy of it all. You're worthy on days like these where we're celebrating, and you're worthy on days that we never thought we would face. Your goodness and your kindness never changes. And Jesus, we're so thankful for your life given for us. And Father, we're so thankful that you loved us and sent your Son and Spirit. We're so honored and thankful that you would come and live and dwell inside of us. That your presence would be here moving. Right now, God, I I pray that we never just have a church service, that we come to meet with you, the living God. And that your Spirit would always be moving and, and, and convicting and encouraging and strengthening and, and correcting and doing what only you can do in the hearts of every single person. Because you alone are worthy of it all. All our hearts, all our minds, all our souls, all we have. You're worthy of it all. We thank you, Father, for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for, most of all, for your presence here, that you would be here enthroned on the praises of your people. That of everything that is going on in the universe, that that you would be with us. That you don't come and go. You're not standoffish. You're not mad one day and happy the next. You are love. Rich in mercy and full of kindness. We thank you for your kindness to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Good morning. Silly us, we roped off those two sections over there. And doesn't, just take a second, everybody just take a second, stand up wherever you are if you can, stand up. Just look around and realize how many people are here that you didn't know were going to be here and say hey to them. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. It's so good to have the family together. It is so good to have the family together. Man, thank you, Father. I'm so excited right now. Like, I didn't really, you know, I I remember, um, I remember when Patty and I paid off our mortgage. I remember walking out of the bank and feeling a lightness and looking at my wife, Patty, and saying, there's a weight gone that I didn't even realize was there until it was gone. 
And it's the same thing with this. It's like that weight of what are we going to do? We don't have room. We don't have room for our kids. We don't have parking. We don't, you know, like that constant like trusting him, but also feeling the weight of like every week people are leaving because there wasn't room. There wasn't place for their kids and, 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 and everything that came with that. And it's like all of a sudden over the past month that weight's been lifting and now standing here being able to say like, like we're here. And, and, and the Lord did so much more than what we would have even asked or expected. There's a lightness that comes with that. And a joy. And, and man, am I so thankful. I'm so thankful. Our, our, our church family, from, from our leadership team to the people who are part of our church family, have worked so hard and spent so many hours um, pouring their lives into doing everything that was necessary to be able to come to this moment right now. And so I just want to say, like, thank you so much. Thank you for, for believing in what God is doing enough that you want to pour your life into it. That means a lot. I mean, it, it means everything to know that, that you not just say that you believe something. Everybody's excited about something when all they have to do is talk about it. Right? Like everybody's excited when it's just talk. A talk is cheap. But when it comes down to it, like what separates whether I really actually want to invest my life or not is do I invest my life? Do I actually give of my time? Do I take the most valuable commodity that I have and decide that this is worth pouring this commodity that I have? I have so little of it and, and, and it's the most precious thing that God's ever entrusted to us beyond the blood of Jesus is our time. And, and when people say, you know what, that's some place that I think is worth investing some, something that is so precious. It's really, really amazing, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, so welcome. Anybody first time coming to Outreach Church this morning? Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming. Thank you for being here. We're honored that you would join us on this Palm Sunday when you could have gone anywhere in the world and you chose to come here and, and spend it with us. Um, so Palm Sunday to me, is such an amazing picture of why we have to have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Matthew uh, chapter 21, verse 1, and everybody knows the verses that I'm about to read. We've, we've, we've heard them all of our lives. But just because they're familiar, don't let them become common. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but sometimes we become so familiar with something that it becomes common to us, and what once held such a place of importance becomes just a thing among many things. And we never want to let the Word of God ever become that. We never want to just read it just because we know we should read. We want to read the Word of God because in it we can know Him, and in it we can see who He's called us to be, and, 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 and who He is, and what He's like. You can actually know him through his word. You can know God through his word. You can open his word up and his word can open you up. And as you read, the spirit of God can take words on a page and make them life to you. That's an amazing thing. And you can do it whenever you want. Like you can choose anytime you want. You can open the word. That's why one thing I love about whenever I talk with Wayman, he's like, I was reading this morning, and he's always sharing what God has shown him. And the truth of the matter is, is that, that any of us can open the Word of God, and he'll meet us there every single time. He's way more excited about you opening his Word than you are. 
Like I promise you, when you open the Word of God, He is excited because He knows if that Word gets in you, now there's a seed planted there that can begin to reproduce after its own kind, and it can begin to bear fruit. And He is so interested in our lives bearing fruit because there's a world out there that does not know Him, but they know you. And if they're going to taste and see that the Lord is good, it's probably going to be through the fruit of the Spirit that God is producing in your life. And so whenever we open the Word, there's a chance there because a seed gets sown. And that seed contains life inside of it. And so in Matthew 21, verse 1, it says, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, our, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus instructed them, and brought the col- donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on their coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. I thank you that it's quick and sharp, that it is able to separate God and divide. I thank you, Father, that whenever we open your word, we're not just reading words on a page, but there's spirit and there's life to us, God. I thank you that every single word that you spoke is a seed, and it contains everything within it that's needed to reproduce itself if it would find good soil in our hearts. And so, Father, I pray today that our hearts would be that good soil, that the seed of your word would take root, Father, and begin to grow and would bear fruit, and fruit that remains. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and, and it's, it's time now. Like, like his whole life has come to this moment where it's now time to do the thing that he was sent here to do. Remember, Jesus said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And, and, and just thinking about that, like if anyone ever tries to tell you that you don't have a will, that, that you have to actually surrender to God, that you have no will, remember this, Jesus became so much a man that he actually had a will that he had to surrender to the Father. And if, if Jesus, in his humanity, had to submit his will to the Father, there's a pretty good chance that you and I, in our humanity, will have to submit our will to the Father. If Jesus had to say, not my will, Father, but your will be done, there probably should be some points in our life where we come to that place where we say, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And so Jesus has now come to this place where He was sent to be the spotless lamb, and he knows the time has come. He's been talking to his disciples about it, but now it's here. And and he says to them, he says, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there, and her foal will be with her. Take them. If anyone says anything to you, just say the Lord has need of them. It's the first time he's called himself the Lord. Up until this point, he was called the Lord by demons. He was called a prophet. He was called a good man. He was called John the Baptist. He was called Elijah. But now he calls himself Lord. And I think it's because there's been that revelation that Peter had that said that you're the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. And now that it's come from a mouth of a man revealed by the Spirit, Jesus is confirming what's been said by a man. 
with his own words. And he says, go there, you'll find it. I, I, I find it just amazing that, that in everything that Jesus has on his mind, he knows where a donkey is. It's comforting to me. <laughs> but I also find it interesting that even though the donkey didn't realize that it was tied up because there was a purpose, sometimes we feel like we're, we're being held back and Sometimes we feel like there's something I'm supposed to be doing and, and, and we feel like they're, 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 that we're being tied, ba- tied up or held back. And, and the truth of the matter is, is the donkey was being held in a place, but it was unto something. It wasn't just to frustrate it and keep it there forever. It was because there was a day coming where Jesus would need that donkey to be right where he wanted it to be. And so that tying up was ensuring that when I'm ready to use you for what I, sent, what I, what I need you for, you'll be where I want you to be. And I, I think if he cares that much about a donkey being where a donkey is supposed to be so that he can use it for what his purpose is, we, he probably has a, a way of making sure that we're where we need to be when he's ready to use us for our purpose. Rather than us running around and bucking and breaking the chains and breaking in the ropes you know most most animals don't like to be tied up neither do human beings but if we would if we would actually surrender to his lordship and realize that maybe the reason I'm being held here is because there's a purpose for my life and me being right where I'm supposed to be enables a prophecy to actually come true think about it if the donkey isn't where the donkey's supposed to be when the donkey's supposed to be there Hundreds of years of prophecy don't come to a head in that moment. It's like, it wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't like something that Jesus was like, oh, and, and go to this town, get a donkey. It's like there's, there's hundreds of years of prophecy that are going to be fulfilled by that donkey being where it's supposed to be. And the truth of the matter is, is that somebody had to tie the donkey up there with no idea that what they were doing was enabling a, 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 a 500-year-old prophecy to come to pass. How many times have we done things in our lives out of obedience to Jesus that allowed something that he spoke to come to pass and we didn't even know it? It's not like, I don't, I don't, that I know of, I don't know that God went to the, to the man in a dream or sent an angel to talk to the man and said, hey, I want you to tie your donkey on this post on this day. The man was probably just doing what the man always did because God uses our every single day lives. We, we, we look at the highlight film of people's lives and we go, man, I want to be used like, by that, like that. But the truth of the matter is, is that so much of our lives happens in between those highlight film moments. When every single day we go out into the world and do the things that we're called to do. And I, I, I would imagine this man had no idea that in doing so, he literally was making a way for this prophecy to come true. And the problem is, is that if we're not walking in obedience to Jesus and we're only walking in obedience to a prophetic word, or when we know that there's going to be some reward on the other end of it, or when, when, when we know that, that everybody will see it, if, if that's why we're being obedient to Jesus, then there's going to be a lot of times that he's calling us to just do ordinary, common things that he uses for unordinary and extraordinary purposes. Like when we say be faithful with little, you'll be ruler over much. If we're trying to be faithful with little because we want to be ruler over much and we're, 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 we're seeing the little as little, we probably won't be faithful with it. We'll always be half-heartedly doing it with our eyes looking down the road for the much that we're doing this unto. And now all of a sudden, obedience to Jesus is the way to get what I want rather than to be a, a servant of his. 
And then I'll put an expectation of what the much looks like. If I'm not careful, I could come up with an idea and say, well, this is the much, obviously, and now I'm doing the little unto this, and my satisfaction with Jesus only lasts as long as I can see how getting, doing this gets me here. And now I'm not following Jesus. I'm actually following myself and an idea of Jesus that I've made up, and I've got way ahead of myself in my message, but... But he comes and, and, and the people have been waiting, like they've been waiting for, for years and years, for centuries for the Messiah to come. There's been prophecy, there's been, there's been scripture, there's been all these things that are pointing to a Messiah coming. And, and Jesus steps onto the scene and he announces to them, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for he's anointed me. Preach good, the, the gospel of the kingdom, preach the good news, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind and to to heal the lame and, and, he, and, and declare the favorable year of the Lord. And he tells them why he's there. And then he goes and does everything that he said he would do. Everything. The lame walk, the, the blind have sight, the gospel is preached to the poor. And, and all these things are happening right in front of them. And yet they have an idea of what it should look like for Jesus to come that they have constructed and so while Jesus is busy being the Messiah, they're looking for the Messiah and they can't see him because what Jesus is doing doesn't line up with what they think the Messiah should be doing. Oh, he's doing some good things and he's a good man, he's a prophet, you know, he's a good teacher. He's all those things that they called him, but they don't see him as the Christ because they have an idea of what it's going to look like for the Christ to come. And until Jesus does the thing that I have in my mind that Jesus should do, I won't recognize him as Lord. And so along comes, comes Jesus, and he's doing all these things, and now the time comes, and so now they're thinking, okay, he's actually acting the way he should act. You ever felt like that? Like, all right, finally, God, you're being God. <laughs> yeah, you laugh because the person next to you has, has thought that, not you. But it's like, okay, finally, now, God, you're being God, because all of a sudden, our idea of him and who he is being come into alignment for a brief moment. That's a scary place to be when he can't just be Lord. He has to be what I think of as Lord in order for me to recognize him. But this is where the, the people are. And so when Jesus comes riding in on a donkey, they recognize this. David's done it. Solomon's done it. Many of their great leaders have done it. And so finally, he is being the Messiah that he is supposed to be. And now he's finally going to do the thing that we've been waiting for him to do for, for so long. And he's going to destroy the Roman government. He's going to establish a new Jerusalem. He's going to rebuild the temple. He's going to do everything that we've been waiting for him to do. And we're finally going to be actually free. And so when, when they line up and they're shouting, Hosanna, which means save us now, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, they, they genuinely mean it. it. It's not like insincere. It's not like they're like, you know, just saying this to pay him lift service. They genuinely mean like, this is amazing. Glory to God, we're being saved now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like it's sincere and genuine. The problem is the sincerity and the genuineness of it is based on him doing what they want him to do. And so they're, they're taking their coats off. And this wasn't like, you know, nowadays where everybody has 20 coats. This was when you had one. It was probably your prized possession. People could identify you. Remember when, when David put on Jonathan's coat, Saul looked out and saw Jonathan's coat and thought it was Jonathan and not David. Why? Because the coat 
was part of your identity. It's part of who you are. It was important. And they are showing him such honor that they're saying, we we don't even want the feet of the animal you ride on to get dirty. And so they lay their coats down. And and the, the donkey stepping, and if they didn't have coats, then they ran and they cut palm branches because everybody wanted to be part of Jesus coming and being the Messiah. Everybody is so excited about what God is about to do. And so they're cutting palm branches and they're, they're shouting and Jesus comes into the city and, and I would imagine they're waiting. Some of them were zealots. They have weapons at home. They're ready to take up weapons if they need to. They're waiting for the overthrow to begin. They're waiting for the Roman government to be destroyed. They don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but they know that God is able. And obviously, if that's what we want God to do, that's what God is about to do. And so they're, they're, they're waiting for the news to come and then... We read through what Jesus did, and it didn't look at all like what God should do. I mean, he still healed a blind man, but he also told them that they were, some of them were a brood of vipers. He turned tables over and chased people out of the temple. And, and I can imagine in that time period between Hosanna and Good Friday, that every day, the crowd began to get thinner and thinner and thinner. As one by one, Jesus failed to meet their expectations. And so if we fast forward now to Matthew chapter 27... Verse 21, it says, but the governor said to them, so, so they, had a, they had a custom, it was Passover, that's why there were so many people in the city, it was amazing. Probably, it was probably such an awesome time to be a Jew because you, all the people would come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and so this city that regularly housed between 250 and 300,000 people would suddenly now have 3 million people. All the shops were full. All the marketplace stands were full. It was a big festival. It was a big celebration. And in the middle of that celebration is when Jesus comes into town. And and this crowd that's there celebrating, that's really looking for something to celebrate, latches on to this moment and grabs a hold of it. And they really begin to celebrate. But then just five days later, there's another tradition going on. And now it's the tradition of Pilate to turn over one of the prisoners to the Jewish people and give him a pardon. And amazingly enough, the man who rode in on a donkey to everybody's shouts of Hosanna and blessed is he is one of the men who's standing in front of them next to a man who had killed people named Barabbas. And it's the same crowd of people that are standing there looking at Jesus and looking at Barabbas that Pilate is making this appeal to. And everything has changed now where where people were excited and throwing their coats down and cutting down palm branches. Now people are gnashing their teeth and wringing their hands. Where, Where once they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now they're shouting, crucify him. 
What happened? How in just five days did they go from being so excited and and calling him the Messiah to being ready to see him killed? Jesus didn't change. And that's the problem, is that Jesus didn't change. He didn't become who they wanted him to become because he wasn't there to do their will. He was there to do the will of the Father. And so Pilate stands there and says, which of these two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Such a, such a, a clear picture of, of without revelation from God, what we will always in our earthly minds choose. On one hand, you have Jesus standing there who offers the way to the Father, who offers eternal life, who, who says that he's here to, to bring new life and to make all things new, who's doing everything that was prophesied of him. And then on the other hand, you have a man who was guilty of leading an insurrection against Rome. He was a man who had taken up a sword and drew Roman blood. And so as they look at the choice between the two, what makes sense to them is give us the one that we understand the way that this can work and that we can get behind and that we can actually do something about rather than the one who we don't even understand who says that he's going to do all this stuff and yet asks nothing of us in return and, and, and doesn't do things the way that we think he should do things. And in fact, I don't even think he has a sword. And the problem is, is that without revelation from God, we'll always look to the thing that we understand and that we can actually do, rather than yielding to the one that we don't understand, who says, follow me, and I'll show you. And so they, he says, who do you want me to release? And they say, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who's called the Christ? And they all said, they all said, crucify him. Not some said, not a few said. They all said, crucify him. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, his blood shall be upon us and on our children. And I remember years ago reading that line. And it just jumped off the page at me. And I realized that God is so good that what they asked for in hate, he gave them in love. They said, crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And they had no way of knowing what they were asking for in that moment. Because they were asking for it in hate. And God is, in, in, in his amazing love for us, it says while we were yet in sin, he sent his son. Not when we got everything right, not when we said the right words. They don't even know what they're asking. And God says, you know what? That's exactly why I sent him. And for, for generations to come, we would celebrate that Jesus' blood is upon us and upon our children. And there were two things, I think, that, that stood out to me when, when I was reading this and pondering, like, what, what happened? How do you in five days? And, and I was thinking about just my own life with Jesus, how when I first got born again, I had some ideas of Jesus that, that maybe weren't straight from his word, that maybe weren't straight from the example that I could find. And, 
And in my own mind, I was thinking that, well, now that I'm following Jesus because I saw him radically transform my life, I mean, I walked into a room one way, I walked out another way, and, and I remember thinking, like, this is amazing because it was amazing, and he is amazing. But, but the problem arises when if I am following Jesus for what he does for me rather than because of who he is and his love for me and out of love for him, then I'll only follow him as long as the path leads in the direction that I think it's supposed to go. If I have a dream over my life or I, or I have something that I, even, even something from the Lord, I have no problem following Jesus as long as I can see that the path that Jesus is walking leads in the direction that I think it should go. But the problem is, is even if he's going where I feel like I'm supposed to go, the path to get there may not look like what I would choose. It may not look like with the people that I would choose or the way that I would choose or where that I would choose or even more importantly, when I would choose. And so they never actually surrendered him as Lord. You know this because when they said, who is this Jesus? Their answer was, he's the prophet. He could be the Messiah. But instead of, like Peter saying, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the son of the most high God, they decided he's a prophet. And we have a test that he has to pass before we'll call him the Messiah. As long as he passes our test, as long as he does all the things that we want him to do, as long as he keeps my kids safe, as long as he makes my marriage better, as long as he makes my job better, as long as he gives me a promotion, as long as he gives me everything that I want, as long as that no nothing in this life that's hard ever comes my way, then, then, then yeah, he might be Lord then because that's what a Lord should do, right? He should go in front of me and make the crooked path straight. The problem is, is that he's the way to a father, not an easy life. He did make the crooked path straight. He took the winding crooked path and he made it straight. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the way to the Father. No man gets to the Father except by me. He didn't come to make life easy. He didn't come to make sure that we never face anything hard, that we never have to walk through something that we don't understand. I'm not saying like that, that, that in his love he doesn't do amazing things for us. He does, but the problem becomes is if I'm following him for what he does for me rather than because he's Lord, then I'll only follow, follow him as long as everything that he's doing lines up with what I think he should do. God doesn't meet our expectations, we're quick to assume that we know what it should look like to the point that if it doesn't, we begin to question him rather than our understanding. They didn't have the capacity to realize that maybe he came to do something other than what I thought. Here's the amazing thing about what Jesus came to do. It was so much more amazing than what they wanted him to do. If he comes and overthrows the Roman Empire, they're free for a day, but if he comes and gives his life, they could be free for eternity. And that's the thing with our lives that we have to understand is that sometimes our idea of what Jesus should do, it might be amazing, but what he actually came to do and what he wants to do is so much better than what we could think of. And if we make our ideas Lord rather than Jesus, then we'll only follow him as long as we see how our idea is going to come to pass. But if we make him Lord, we walk past uncertainty and we find ourselves in a place that was better than we could have ever imagined. 
The other thing is, is that they didn't know him. They didn't really know him. They knew about him. They heard stories of what he did. They said he's a prophet. Peter said, some say you're a good man. He was a good man. Some say you're a prophet. He did prophesy. But they didn't know him. They didn't have revelation of who he was that was given to them by the Spirit of God in their hearts. And so when it came down to it, he wasn't the Lord. He was just a prophet. And some people had to ask, who is this Jesus? And they said, oh, he's the prophet from Nazareth. And the people were probably really excited. And they, they joined in and said, Hosanna, Hosanna. But the problem is, is that if you're living off of someone else's revelation of who Jesus is, when life doesn't go the way that you expect, you'll turn your back on Jesus and walk the other way. The truth of the matter is you aren't actually following Jesus. You are following somebody else's revelation of who he is. The best a man can do is point you to him. You have to know him for yourself. And you have to decide that he is Lord. Not just a good man, not just a good plan, not just a way to an easy life. No, that he is the Lord. And that he deserves every bit of my life. He deserves all of me, my heart, my mind, my soul. What does that mean? It means that, that, that in my heart, he becomes the person that, like, who is the most important thing in this world. That I'm no longer following him for myself, I'm following him for him with my mind, with the way that I think has to be transformed by the truth of his word, with my soul, that means with my will and my emotions, my feelings. Because some days it feels amazing to follow Jesus. And just being honest, some days it doesn't. I don't know, the halo is shrinking. But let's be real. Some of the things that Jesus asks of us, we're so excited about. But some of the things he asks us about and asks of us are a little less than exciting. Look, it's okay to say that. Jesus knelt before the Father and said, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from before me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, God, Father, if there's any other thing that we can do, if we can redeem humanity any other way, then let's do that because I know what's in front of me and it does not look like something I want to do. Come on, if Jesus said that to the Father, it's okay if every now and then we have a moment where we look at him and say, is there any other way? But it's equally important that we follow it up with what Jesus followed it up with. Which is, if there's not, then I'm committed to whatever you want, not what I want. And I preached last week up in our Ringe Church campus, it was amazing. We saw six young people, well, a few middle-aged people and, and, and four young people give their lives to Jesus yesterday, last, last week up there. Yeah. And then afterwards, then afterwards, a, a family that's been attending for just a short time came up and they're like, we need to get baptized. They, I was preaching about Judas and I was talking about how he, he knew all about Jesus, but he didn't actually know him for who he was. He never made him Lord. He always called him rabbi. He always called him teacher. In other words, Jesus was just a teacher among teachers. But he was never Lord. And they came up after the service and they said, we need to get baptized and filled with the Spirit. And so I think they're doing 12 baptisms up there this week. Come on, that's amazing. 12 people are being lowered into death with Jesus and raised to newness life. But here's the thing. 
That was a way smaller group than this, and most of the people in there would have said they were Christians. And when I asked the question, there was a bunch of people in there that, that, that actually couldn't say that they knew him. And so I, I never want to miss this opportunity because we're about to take communion. And, and, and I just, I know that there's probably people in here who you've been following an idea of Jesus or you've been living off of other people's revelation. And as long as the crowd is shouting, Hosanna, you're shouting Hosanna. The problem with that is when the crowd starts to shout something different, your tune, tune will change too because he's not Lord. He's not master. He's just a good teacher. He's just a good man. He's just a prophet. And I don't want to pass up this opportunity. Because see, here's the thing. Judas was not only there to see, he was there to be part of every single thing that the disciples did. He fed the 5,000. He watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. He saw him cast demons out of people. He didn't just see it, he was actually part of it. And I think sometimes we can be fooled in being part of something. And, 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 and truthfully, that's the danger of validating or judging whether or not we're following Jesus by the things that we see happen, even that we're part of. Because just because the power of God flowed through Judas, it didn't actually change Judas's heart. And so while he was able to say that he was a part of everything that happened, he never actually surrendered to Jesus as Lord. And we know that because when they're sitting at the table at the Last Supper and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, all of the 11 say, Lord, and they call him Master. Is it me? And, and, and Jesus looks and, and, and says no, and, he's, and, and Judas says, well, well, Master, but it's Rabbi, it's not Lord, it's Teacher. Surely not I. Jesus says it's you. And here is the scariest thing about that to me, is that when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, they didn't all stand and look and say, it must be Judas. Meaning that his life looked so much like the rest of the ones who actually were following Jesus, that when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, none of them stood up and said, obviously it's Judas. Come on, that's the danger of being part of something but not actually surrendering your life to Jesus, of making your Christianity about attending a church or singing songs in worship or, or, or shouting or doing all those things. Look, those things are amazing and they're an amazing part of following Jesus. But if my Christianity is based on what I'm a part of rather than the one that I've surrendered my life to, in the end, I will change my tune at some point because I haven't made him Lord and there's something in my life that if he doesn't do, I'll turn my back on him and my tune will change and go from Hosea to crucify him just like the crowd did and it might not happen in five days it might happen in five weeks or five months or five years but over time every time he doesn't meet one of my expectations there'll be a little less in my heart that I'm willing to surrender to him until finally I've taken my whole heart and I've made a decision that he can't be who he says he is because he didn't do what I thought he should do And I, don't, I obviously don't know every single person in this room, and even the ones I know, I don't know where everyone's at. And I'm not saying this to scare anybody, but I am saying, like, if 12 men could spend their lives with Jesus and one of them not surrender to him as Lord, it's quite possible in a room this size that there could be some people 
who have spent a lot of time with people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus but have never done it themselves and they're living through revelation they've got from other people or they have an idea of Jesus that so far he's living up to but they haven't made him Lord. They haven't repented. They haven't turned. They haven't surrendered to him as master. Yielded their lives and made him king. We're going to take communion in a second and I don't want anybody to miss out. And so I'm just going to ask everyone right now, and the truth of the matter is, is, is I know it can sound corny sometimes to say every eye closed, every head bowed, but, and sometimes we don't do that, but sometimes I feel like people may care more about what the person next to them thinks than what the God who's watching knows. In fact, they literally care because Jesus isn't Lord yet, you might be Lord. You might be the most important person in their life. You might be the person that they're more worried about what they think than anybody else. Because Jesus isn't Lord, something is, someone is. And I would hate for someone to not actually respond to him because they're afraid of the way that you might respond to them. I'm just asking every single person in here, like have you surrendered to him as Lord? Have you actually yielded your life to him? come to that place where you receive what he paid for on the cross, the forgiveness of sins, the spirit of God coming to take up resurrection, new life, that he became sin, that knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if you haven't done that, listen, Christianity is not say a prayer, go back to life as normal, and then one day when you die, go to heaven. It's a lifelong journey of actually following Jesus and being transformed from glory to glory into the image of his son, but it starts with the first step, which is to say, I need a savior. I need to be forgiven. I wanna be born again. So if there's anybody in here that needs to do that today, we would love to pray with you. We would love to see you step out of darkness and into light. If there's anyone here needs to do that, just put your hand up where I can see it. Yeah, come on, is there anybody else? Like, don't, don't, leave, don't worry about what the person next to you thinks. I promise you, what they think won't stand with you when you stand before him on that day. They won't be there. It'll be you standing before him. And that's not to scare you. That's to say you can be excited about that day because you've surrendered your life to him now in this life and you'll be with him for eternity. Is there anybody else before we pray that needs to do that, just wants to give their life to Jesus and say, I need to be forgiven. I need a savior. Anybody else that wants to do that, we're going to pray right now. All right, come on. If that was you and you raised your hand, I need you to just be bold for a second and just stand up where you are. Come on. That's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Listen, there's no, there's no magic prayer that we can pray. it's simply the Bible says that if we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord that we'll be saved and so it's simply you just asking the Lord to do in you what he came to earth to do which is to be the forgiveness of your sins and to shed his blood so that you could become washed and be a new creation and be filled with his spirit and so it's right back here in the back we're gonna have some of our prayer team people are gonna come back and they'll be praying with they're gonna pray with you in a second and we're gonna welcome you into the family of God and then we'll get you baptized and, 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 and filled with the spirit of God and Man, right now, all of heaven is celebrating because one person stepped out of darkness and into light. Come on. Come on, that's amazing. 
If that was all God did today, every single effort would be worth it. And I know he's doing more than that. So here's the thing. For anyone who didn't respond to that, I just wanted this to be just a, maybe just like a new wineskin like Ben was talking about and just have a heart check and say, am I really following Jesus or am I following an idea of Jesus that I've created in my mind? Have I really yielded everything over to him? Is there any line that he could cross that would make me change my mind from Hosanna to crucify him? Why am I following him? Am I following him because he's the Lord? Or am I following him because of what I think he's going to do for me? Come on, if there's any area of your life where you feel like, well, if he didn't do this, it wouldn't be worth following him anymore. Just simply repent. Repent for making that Lord rather than Jesus. No matter what it is. That's why Paul said, Jesus said, count the cost. And then Paul said, I did it. And I found out that everything was trash compared to knowing him and being found in him and the righteousness that he provided. And that I would know him and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul said, listen, I can suffer anything on earth because I know him. And he's bigger than anything else. Amen.